We're giving you a chance over the last three weeks to explore, first two weeks, explore a man's heart. Last week, we looked at a woman's heart. Today, we will wrap things up, part two, looking at a woman's heart. We also had some fun with some videos, flip-flopping, responsibilities. So today, in closing out our series, here's a chance for you to view a video of things that a woman would never say. arm wrestle you for it. You're on. You know, truth is, childbirth really isn't all that bad. No, I do not want to talk about my feelings right now. Can't we just watch the Cubs game? I just love being single on Valentine's Day. These magazines make me feel so good about myself. You're right. Can I just get a plain black coffee? You're right. Oh, it's such a great movie. So much explosion. Oh, that one bag in his head. Oh, no. You're so right. I really thought about it. I guess I'll just wear whatever. You are always right. I look good today. Why does he always keep it so warm in this house? Yeah, I'm good. It's just a little stain. You can totally wear it. Whoa, check out those guns. You're a beast. Yeah. I slept like a baby last night. Ugh. Bacon. Dude, I could totally crush this on my head. I think I finally have all the shoes I need. Whoa! You do not want to go in there. Wow. No, we don't need to call the plumber. I'll fix it myself. Taking a bath is so gross. No, I'll just wait here. I don't have to be. Hey, kid. Pull my finger. I wish I could be more like your mom. Oh yeah, that was a great touchdown. Behind, it was like yeah, totally crazy. <gasps> oh, look at the bunny! Oh my goodness, it's so cute! It's it is it's so cute. cute! Look at the way that it's. Oh. Oh. <laughs> oh, that was great closing, wasn't it? <laughs> Don't mess with Amy. <laughs> Today we're going to continue. <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Today we're going to continue um, and try to conclude with some uh, preliminary thoughts of the real heart of a woman. So, did some uh, studying obviously this week or in the last four weeks at the heart of a woman, and we're finding some valuable truths regarding women. And so, even this week, I posted three questions on my personal Facebook page and. Many, many, many of you responded. And if you want to see those, I encourage men to go back and read those. You might be informed uh, in ways that you weren't aware of and go back to my personal page and take a look. But So a lot of this message from an illustration standpoint and stats are shaped by you. So we have no one to blame but us uh, for this today, guys. Uh, And so as we look at the heart of a woman, you'll soon find out there's some things that we can do a better job, and ladies, that you can help shore up these inadequacies that you feel regularly regarding those. And so what, as you, summing these up, my personal study, study, a personal study, case study here at Grace Community, there's an overarching reality about women. And I would kind of sum it up like this. You want to be noticed. You want to be acknowledged. You want to be heard. Not just as the husband is walking away and say, I heard you looking at them and engaging in conversation. You wonder if you'll be replaced by another woman, which leads to insecurity if your identity isn't in Jesus Christ. So many ladies fear being lonely. Many ladies fear that are married being widowed, what that'll mean without you if they're not properly equipped for that next stage in life. And so there's these fears that surface, and and some of them play out in real deep, dark insecurities. You want to be noticed, you want to be acknowledged, you want to be heard, you wonder if you'll be replaced by another woman, which leads to insecurity, and you fear being lonely or being widowed. So after reading through these responses, we're going to engage some of those, and we're going to look 
in Genesis chapter 2 and see where it all began. So grab your Bibles and turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, hold your hand up. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. If you don't own a Bible, take this Bible home with you. It's our gift to you uh, from Grace Community. And if you have 17 copies at home, bring them back. Uh, Genesis chapter 2, we're going to read verses 20 to 23. So stand with me. It's the first book of the Bible. Let's read this out loud together. Genesis 2, verses 20 to 23. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air and all the beasts of the field. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man. And he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now flesh in my bones and flesh in my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The man and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. You have a seat. Have you ever considered this first encounter of man meeting woman and the circumstances around that? Bone of my bones, I think I said flesh of my bones, but bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. Have you ever considered that the very first words that Adam spoke, that man spoke, after seeing Eve, after seeing woman, was he serenaded her in a song. In the Hebrew, this bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh, she shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man, is in a poetic form. And so literally, in the garden, picture as you can, God bringing Eve to Adam, and he breaks out into a seren- he serenades her in a song. What a beautiful moment this is. The Hebrew poetry shows this. It's more than just words. It's, it's Hebrew poetry of a song being spoken to her. Now think about this for a second. Think about this first encounter before sin. This is Genesis 2. A helper was found. Adam's first expression was to serenade her with the song. Think about this. No sin. Imagine a relationship with no sin. Full attention of each other. Picture that if you can. Full, bore-on attention. Not distracted by anyone else. No competition. No head games. No wondering if this is the one I'll choose for the rest of my life or this isn't. There he is. There she is. Perfect surrounding. Imagine what this was like in the very beginning. In fact, think about this. I don't know if you've ever observed this. Eve's first relationship wasn't with Adam, but it was with God. Look again at verse 22. Look at verse 22. This is a beautiful picture here. It says this. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib. He had taken out of the man, and he what? What's the word? Brought her to the man. The very first relationship that was created. Imagine this for a second. God bringing Eve. Adam wakes up from this sleep. God brings Eve. I'm not sure how he did it. He engaged her in conversation before this. Adam was asleep. Scripture doesn't say what those words were, what took on there, what took place there. But the very first encounter that she had when she woke up and realized I'm a created being, was God himself. The first relationship that she had was with God. And then God says, I'm going to take you to your man. Imagine walking, bringing her, and introducing her to Adam. Now picture, if you can, what that meant. Having God set you up. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Think about the very first encounter that you have to pick your bride, to pick the woman that you'll spend the rest of your life. It's like someone, how many of you had people come to you, single gals here? How many people have, have you have, and guys, single guys here, have someone said, hey, I know the girl for you, or I know the guy for you. You're like, yeah, right. And that encounter happens, she's not the one, he's not the one. But imagine God himself looking at Adam saying, here, here's God's best for you. Reality is this, God still wants us to go to him in our 
exploring in our journey and picking our mates and, and finding the person we'll spend the rest of our lives with. And so, without a doubt, this is one of the most beautiful moments in history. A man meeting the woman God had in mind for him, perfect in every way. But I still get sad. I read Genesis 3 again this week, and it's like, I just want to stop at Genesis 2. I wish we could just stop there, just this perfect environment with a man and woman madly in love with each other, no sin, no temptation, just, just full attention on each other, just only love for him and only love for her. Just this, this, the intention was it's supposed to be for your eyes only. No distractions, no, no mind games, no head games, no wondering if she's the one or he's the one. It's like, this is who I'll spend my life with. And it's like, if we could just pause there. When I read Genesis 3 again this week, I have to admit, I was grieved in my heart as I read Genesis 3. Because sin enters the world. And I still get sad every time I read Genesis 3. Because man had a chance to bear responsibility and say, I blew it, but he didn't. And so look what happens in Genesis chapter 3. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and look at at verse 11. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 11. Genesis 3 and verse 11 says this, after they sinned, and he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. The very first chance that the man has to stand up, the very first chance that the man can bear responsibility, the very first chance that the man can take the brunt of the consequences of this relation, the very first time he can say, when God came to him, he could have said, hey, I'm the spiritual head of the family. I'll carry the burden for both of us. And the very first thing he does, he throws his wife under the bus. He does. God comes to him and said, why did that happen? He said, the woman that you gave me. It's sad to me. It really is sad to me. He had a chance. He could have just said, God, I blew it. Forgive me, God, for not leading the way you want me to lead. Forgive me, God, for trying to pass the buck. And so look what happens next. I mean, verse 12, look again at verse 12. The woman, or the, verse 13, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and ate. She watched the model of her husband who passed the buck. And she responds out of the same kind of leader that he is and said, well, if you're passing the buck, then I'm passing it too. And she passes it on to the serpent. And so from that point on, Women have had a fundamental insecurity about your love. Adam had the chance to say, I blew it, but I will work hard at making this better. Please forgive me, God. But the very first time he sins, he blames it on his wife. She blames it on Satan. And so there's this fundamental insecurity that this relationship is built on. And from that point on, women began to see a picture of man that God never wanted it to be. And so for year after year, this sin has been passed down through Adam to every male, and he passes it on from generation to generation to generation. And part of the sin that he passed on was the the fact that he wasn't willing to say, I blew it and carry responsibility as the spiritual covering of the family. Men, we are supposed to be the spiritual leaders of our families. We must be willing to take the heat and work hard at getting us both back on track. For her, fight for her spiritually, mentally, relationally, emotionally. For you see, we are supposed to be the gatekeepers. God has asked us to tenderly lead our wives and our relationships with a heart towards God, with a tenderness and a warrior spirit. I call it a tender warrior that's willing to stand in harm's way, even when you've blown it and say, God, 
I am sorry. I take responsibility. And so all we have is picture after picture where no one wants to take responsibility for their sin. And so they wallow in it and relationships just crumble away. We're supposed to guard the gate as the male spiritual leader of our family. We're supposed to bear the brunt of our home. Yet the opposite is happening in our world. Way too often it's the women left to pick up the pieces of the mess that either both have made or he has made. Now I know we have individual responsibility. Eve had individual responsibility and there's consequences. But the picture that she got from Adam was, I didn't do it, it's her fault. And so for generation after generation after generation after generation, this relationship that began in the garden is perfect is a model of imperfection, of sin, of not willing to fess up and confess the sins and bear responsibility. We can't afford to check out men. We just can't. We can't afford to check out. The minute we check out and don't carry the burden and the weight and the help her shoulder the weight in a relationship, everything falls apart because she'll begin to try to find it somewhere else if she can't get it from God or she can't get it from you. So men, now she's looking for you to show her that you love her because love is more than words. It is an action. So every day she struggles with whether or not you truly love her. The reality is this, men. We'll fight for our schools. We'll fight for our projects. We'll fight for our handicaps in golf. We'll fight for our workplaces. We'll fight for our teams. But what about fighting for her heart? What about protecting her heart? What about guarding the gate of your house? What about standing in harm's way and saying, I will not let evil enter this relationship. I will stand and guard the gate of this relationship. So after reading Hundreds of replies, not only here at Grace Community, but in my own research. If your bride or if women were able to respond in a confident way and they knew that they could share this with you without you taking it and spending it and using it to control her, she would say these words. A woman in a relationship would say these words. I need you. Most times we'll never hear that. I need your strength. I am vulnerable. I believe in you. If women could speak, interviewed all across the world, here at Grace Community, doing a home test, looking at a poll here, if women could speak and they could speak confidently, they would bear their hearts and there are times when they would say these things, I need you. I need your strength. I am vulnerable. I believe in you. But the walls of insecurity block her from saying this with fear that you will take advantage of her and with fear of that somehow that makes her look weak. And so women are afraid. Hey, I can do it my way. Yes, you can. And so when it comes to relationship, they're hesitant to walk into a relationship and allow him to lead with fear of somehow that makes them look weak because the only picture that they've seen throughout our society is a weak leader. And so they dare not say, I need you, nor would they say to someone that they're dating or someone they're married to, if it's a poor situation, they would never say, I need you. I need your strength. We are better together than I am alone. They would never say that. There's a fear of insecurity of saying something like that. But she fears that somehow that'll make her sound weak, that you might take advantage of her for that. So sin twists or distorts her from admitting that. And so we've seen this picture from the beginning. But in a healthy relationship, a husband walks through this relationship, guards the gate, tenderly caresses her, cherishes her, adores her, loves her, has her best interests in mind, and she will allow that kind of man to lead unless she's insecure. And after interviewing many ladies, some of these responses came forward. Here's how the insecurity surfaced. She would love for you to tell her this. She wants to know that you miss her when she's not there. But she would not always tell you that. 
Because if she tells you that, then she thinks that somehow in a marriage relationship, if I always tell him that I, I hope they miss me when I'm not there, then somehow he'll lord that over me. And so I heard just recently in discussion that I wasn't even in our small group and in replies on my Facebook page was this. Women want to know, wives want to know that you miss them. It might even be like, hey, I'm, especially when you're with the kids, if you're doing something with the kids, you're out with the kids and she's home alone and, and you're out doing your thing. She wants to know that you wish she was there. Even though she might not want to be there, she wants to know that you wish she was there. So what do we do, men, for something like that? We ask them before we leave. My wife, Ann, has just, she recently said to this, this to me again, she says, Jim, even though I might not want to do the thing that you're doing or hanging out where you're hanging out, I love when you ask me this question. Ann, would you like to go along? And she said, even though in that point of time, I might be 100% certain I don't want to go, I love that at least you ask me and include me in the question. I find security in that. So men, if you're out and you're hanging out with the kids, a simple text from her to her that says something like this, wish you were here, can go a long ways. Because in her mind, you have been thinking about her even though you're not with her. That's why in gift giving, a woman loves a spontaneous gift, but she also likes a gift that you've had to think about for a while. It means that somewhere along the line, guess what? She's been on your mind for like a week. That speaks loudly to her emotions, to her feelings. She also wants to think that she is irreplaceable. She wants to believe that she is your standard of beauty, that she is your first choice again if you had to do it all over. Now, I can tell you how true this is. I've been in many counseling situations, and I'll hear things like this. We've just kind of grown apart. And I'm not certain that he loves me anymore. What that means is she doesn't feel love. What that means is she's not certain that he would choose her again. She needs to know, guys, no matter how long you've been together, no matter how long you've been married, 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years, she wants to believe if you took yourself back to that night when you proposed to her and you asked her to be your bride and on that wedding day when you said, for better, for worse, in sickness and health, She wants to believe if she could rewind that tape and go clean back, that even 25 years later, that you would pick her again. She wants to believe that she will always be your first choice. Listen, men, we have many, 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 many ways that we can show her that. And as a woman ages and the relationship gets farther and farther and you have babies and you have children, you have responsibilities and he's off working, all of a sudden this insecurity surfaces because of the sin in the garden that says, I wonder if he loves me enough that he would choose me again. Men, your bride needs to know that you would pick her all over again and it's more than you saying, if I had to do it all over again, I would. it's showing her daily that. Her confidence is under assault every day. Her beauty in her mind diminishes each year, especially if you do not lift her up. And she wants to believe that she's the most beautiful woman in the world to you, just like the first time you ask her out, the first time you went on a date, the first time you asked her to marry, the first time you said, I do. She wants to know and she needs to know that you would pick her again if you lined all the women up again. And if you took the 50-year-olds today and the 40-year-olds today, no matter how old you are, and you lined them up all across the world, she wants to believe that you would pick her again. One of the things I love doing with my daughter, Hannah, and I've done it since she's been a little girl, no matter what age she's been, first, second, third, fourth, fifth grade in college, I'll say this to her. I say, honey, and I believe this is all my heart. I say, honey, I can remember one of the first times I told her, she was probably second or third grade. I said, Hannah, if I could line all the second grade girls all across the universe and I could bring them all here and they brought me out and I could pick one second grade girl out of all the girls in the universe, I would pick you every time. And I've been telling her that since she's been little. And by... I would do that. I love my daughter. And the same for us men. We need to look at our brides and say, honey, 
If I lined up all the women in the world, all of them, and if I had a chance to do it all over again, go back to that day, whatever that is, say, if I was 20 years old again, if I was 30, 40, if I was in my teens, and I lined them all up, and now, knowing what I know now, I would pick you again. You want to see your bride light up? She needs to know that you're the, she's the most important woman in your life. You remember, ladies, two weeks ago when I shared that every man needs to know that you'll be there at the end, especially in dating relationships. A man needs to know he's a problem solver. He needs to know that, just tell him, you're going to be there. You don't know how it's going to happen. But for his confidence, he needs to know that you're going to do your best. You're going to be there so that he can begin to chart out this relationship. He needs to know that you're going to be there at the end of that relationship. Because if you don't at least say, I'm willing to give my best shot for him, it's, it's impossible to solve and make this work out. The same way that that happens, a woman needs to know, guys, that you'll be there through the end of this relationship. Do you remember last week when I showed you that artist's rendition, when we showed you that uh, of, of a woman who, who, who tried to explain herself, and then she met someone else, and this person that she met, just met, described her, and the drawings that were there, the drawing of the woman was not very beautiful. She saw herself differently than what other people saw her. And so the the person came in and they described it and the two were just dark contrasts of each other, one more beautiful than the other. Imagine this. We were in our small group this week and Brent said something like, she said, imagine if we switched the roles. Imagine a guy sitting there and trying to describe himself. Seriously, imagine that if, if you flip the, we're stronger, we're faster, we're better. We hit more home runs. We had a better score. Imagine a guy. We'll all be gladiator. Can you imagine that painting? We'd, like, we have such a poor view of ourselves. And imagine if you just met another guy and sat him down and said, okay, now describe that dude. You would pick out every flaw in that dude. Man, his arms look like needles. Man, look at that. Just, and you would say, man, he's got a, look, look at his cheeks. Man, look at that neck. Look, look at, he's like, look at that gut. We, and so the pictures would be, Picture of us would be like, glad the other picture would be like, hippopotamus. It's just, isn't it interesting though? Because men struggle with pride. And so God has to humble us and push us down. And women struggle with this, not believing that they have enough. And God is constantly trying to lift them up. One view of man is, man is, he sees himself better than what he really is. God has to push us down, humble us. And women, he needs to lift up. And so, men, we need to constantly lift up our ladies. However, let me say this. Woman in the presence of a good, godly man feels beautiful. By the way, ladies, don't ever take that for granted. If you're in the presence of a good, godly man who makes you feel beautiful, he is rare. And when you got a rare dude, you hold on to him with all you got. So how can we lift our ladies up, men? Well, I asked that question this week, and here's some of the responses. She feels secure when you affirm her in public and in front of her friends. You can't do that enough. You're hanging out with her friends, and there's friends with her. You affirm her. You tell her how beautiful she is. You lift her up and not point out her faults. You don't flirt with other ladies that are there. You elevate your lady and let them know that you believe and know that she's the most beautiful woman on planet Earth. She is secure when you take an active role in parenting the kids. She loves it when you hang out with the kids, when you pour into their lives, when you invest in them. It allows security to surface in relationship because she believes that you're in it for the family too. She's secure when you notice her and are aroused even if she isn't making a concerted effort to arouse you. She loves it when you, you just, you, you're, you're drawn to her even when she's not trying to draw you to her. She loves it and feels secure when you show consistency, not just with your words, but with your actions. She loves it when you take the lead and make decisions, even the little ones. She might not admit it. Even something as simple, where you want to go out to eat? So you ask your wife, you say, hey, where'd you like to go out? And she says, oh, I don't know. What do you think? And so when you say, hacienda, and so you make the decision. Sometimes we're, we're, we're caught between a rock and a hard place. We go to hacienda and they look at the menu. Wow, is this all they got? It's your fault. But they want you to make the decision. It's like, what did we do with that? (laughs) 
She feels secure when you take care of yourself physically because she often wonders about being alone all by herself. See, dudes, you're not hearing that just from me. I heard it from your wives. I heard it from women in studies. They know if your dad had a heart attack. They know if you're 50 or 100 pounds overweight. They know that you couldn't save your child who was drowning in an ocean because you would be out of breath. They know that you're one tick and one artery, blocked artery away from a heart attack. And so she thinks about that. And so the better off physically that you take care of yourself, the more secure you. Even if you're drawing picture, I'm gladiator. Ask one of your buddy dudes, what do you think? He's going to tell you, dude, you're a sorry mess. She needs to know that you're going to be there. She looks at life expectancy. She knows how long men, you see some women have been a stay-at-home mom and have given up the career of, of whatever their pursuit was to be a career mom, which is awesome. So she thinks, I won't be able to collect social security. I hope he's around. So if you're not physically taking care of yourself, it causes her to be insecure. So for any reason that you think that isn't important, there's a good one. She feels secure when you two of you feel close, when you walk with her. My wife tells me this. By the way, we don't have a perfect marriage, but we have a great marriage. And by the way, I've learned a lot in 25 years being married to Anne. I have a phenomenal wife who's put up with a lot. And we've learned. We've been through some hard times. And so I'm learning. A lot of this has come out of us learning this together. And even when it comes to she wants to know that you're close. I read recently where a lady said we were in a busy group of people and we were walking through a downtown she said it was packed full of people and people were crossing the street this way and we were passing it, passing it this way she said I was afraid my husband was with me and he said he reached with the palm of his hand and touched the back of my back and guided me through the crowd and she said I felt so secure when he did that my wife will often tell me and I work really hard at holding my wife's hand I love holding my wife's hand and walking in public but I can't tell you. But I'm not really good at the pace by which you were. Sometimes you say, Jim, walk at my pace, would you? And I'm still working at that. And she'll say, Jim, just walk with me instead of me walking with you. And I've heard her, and I've, I've, I've done a poor job at times because I'm running to the next thing, get the next thing. And so if I'm not thinking about that pace, it's not very meaningful to her. By the way, men, when you view porn, it sends a clear message to her that she doesn't have what you need, and it rips out her heart and causes deep emotional scars. By the way, single dudes, if you think, by the way, that, that, that somehow when you get married and, and you'll be able to have sex with your wife in a beautiful, intimate way, by the way, that's the only context. Any context outside of marriage is sin. So if you're, if you're sleeping around, you're in disobedience to the God of the universe, you are sinning, there aren't any exceptions. But if you think that somehow getting married is going to take away this, this area of pornography that you've been toiling in, you are kidding yourselves. Women also wish you work less so they could have more of your time. 70% of women said this, they would prefer that you take lower paying job if that meant you spent more time with them to get emotionally closer. She needs to know that you're going to, to love her through it. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. She also needs to know that you're going to love her through it. Look at Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. Look at verse 2. Paul says this, and it applies to relationship and marriage. Carry each other's burdens, and in this you will fulfill the law of Christ. Carry each other's burdens. She needs to know that you'll see her through every season. She needs to know in the good, the bad, and the ugly that you'll carry her burdens. She needs to know that you'll shoulder some of the weight. She needs to know that when you're going through a difficult time, even though it's not making sense, that you're there. You're there listening. You're carrying. You're willing to bear the brunt of whatever you're going through. She also needs to know that you've been making changes in your life that you would do what you said you would do. You see, each time you fail in your commitment, it's a deep scar emotionally on a woman. And it takes time for emotional wounds to heal. They aren't fixed overnight. 
By the way, ladies, listen to me today. If you hear nothing else today, you do not have to live a defeated, insecure life any longer. Your past should never define you when you come to Christ. Every single woman in this room and across the world and across the internet and seated in the link have been wounded in some form or fashion in your past. Some of you have confronted your wound while others have never dealt with it. And every once in a while, it's like you just have, you watch something, you hear something, it's like, these emotions come out, it's like, these emotions of tears and just, they're buried deep. And all of a sudden it's like, where'd that come from? And when you deal with those emotions, every single one of you have been wounded until you deal with them and give them over to Christ, you will constantly deal with insecurity. And it comes from an absent father, a passive father, who didn't love their daughters the way they were supposed to. So the girl spent her entire childhood trying to gain attention, and she ends up through relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship after relationship. I see it all the time. Then you'll see many a good mother make the mistake of believing her daughter is a reflection of herself. And so she tries to live vicariously through her daughter thinking, but at least she can be beautiful. At least she can win. At least I can have her doing everything. Then you watch it happen with grandmothers. They didn't do a good job, they think, with their kids. And now they're absorbed by their grandkids. And so they live the shelter life of everything is planned around grandkids. And they live out their lives through their grandkids instead of living life with risk and steps of faith. So an old boyfriend, an old confrontation with the father, an abortion, a sinful weekend, season of rebellion, thoughts forward move it in your life. Yet every woman wants to be healed of her past, but her insecurity makes her believe she does not deserve it. And so the enemy whispers, you're worthless. You're not a real woman. You are not enough. You are a disappointment. You don't deserve healing. You blew your chance with him, with him, and with him. So you choose companionship based upon those lies. And you settle in a relationship instead of getting a man who's chasing hard after Jesus, you take the next meat on the chopping block that appears. Letting the enemy convince you that This is as good as it will ever get. And Satan wants to remind you that over and over and over and over and over and over again. By the way, ladies, God didn't recycle you when you came to Christ. You are not like resale material. You are not refurbished when you came to Christ. Your heart was made new. New! Not secondhand, not almost new. When you came to Christ, all that junk in your past was taken to the cross. You are new. You don't have to live in your sin any longer. You don't have to be reminded and condemned with that junk. You are new, 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 brand new in Christ. And when you believe you are secondhand, You want to take control of your identity and make sure he thinks you are more valuable. And so you become high maintenance, controlling him. Men, let me just say this. The best thing that you can do for your wife, your girlfriend, is to lead her on a path to Jesus Christ. A path of following through on your word, being a man who finishes what he started. Way too many men are great starters and horrible at finishing. We are loaded with men who make promises and they jump in. They go, and yeah, I'm in, I'm in. I'll be there at the end. Drop off. This comes. This struggle comes. This adversity comes. This trial comes. This woman comes. This new job comes. This new thing. And all of a sudden we get distracted by the temptation instead of saying, I'm going to finish what I started. And we need a world of men who says, through hell or high water, I'm going to be there at the end, baby, so just get used to it. Just finish something, men, besides supper. Just finish something besides sports center. Just finish something besides mowing the lawn. 
Just finish something besides reading the newspaper. Just finish something besides your job. Just finish something besides coaching. Just finish something besides the remodeling project. Just finish something besides being right. Finish what you started. It said, in sickness and health, in good times and bad times, I will be there. I saw this demonstrated probably in one of the best ways I've ever seen demonstrated. Through a couple that found Christ and learned how to live out love in a marriage relationship like I've never seen before. And so I connected with New Spring Church in Anderson, South Carolina and let them know that we're going to be using this video of a couple in their church that I think best demonstrates seeing her through the end. Watch this. Back in the early 90s when I was in culinary school, I had this vision of a white tablecloth restaurant. I just knew this was it. As soon as I walked in the doors, I could sit down and see the tables and see the customers walking around, seeing where the kitchen would be and the, the action and the movement of the restaurant uh, and it was it was exactly what I dreamed for um, and then once we opened the restaurant in February 1999 um, our success grew quickly uh, we had the, all the things that I thought I desired that I wanted in life I had success uh, we had wealth we were making a lot of money we had fame we were on the front cover of the Wall Street Journal and uh, that, that one thing Ironically, was the thing that was destroying me at the same time. For the first two years, we lived our dream. We worked day and night in the restaurant. And I, I really connected with Bill through the whole restaurant because that was our dream and our love of food. Um, and then we started to drift apart. It wasn't as much my dream to run the restaurant, the day-to-day operations, that that was more of his dream. My dream more was to be at home with my children and and to be a stay-at-home mom. I was taking on more responsibility at the restaurant, working in crazy hours, and my resentment with this work became more and more resentment. And with that, I I began to go out and drink uh, to the early hours of the morning. Uh, and the drinking became um, cocaine use until the early hours of the morning, and I just just grew extremely angry. And we, we just kind of got this vicious cycle. She would be mad at me for staying out to all these hours, and then I would be extremely mad with her uh, for not being at work and, and helping me, and she was home with our, with our baby, that it, it just it became this vicious cycle that, that was hard to break. I wanted a husband that was going to be there for me and and to run the restaurant and then come home and, and be the husband and the father that I knew that he could be. But it, it, it didn't turn out like that. In December 2003, I just felt extremely hopeless uh, as a father and a husband. Um, I pretty much knew that our marriage was was finished and uh, I was finished as a father and we were getting divorced. During that month, I began to use, I mean, in in a big, huge way. I I spent thousands of dollars on drugs with the intent of of ODing and to end my life. Sabra had called me and wanted me to come spend some time with her and the kids for, for Christmas Day, uh, and I had to, to sleep to, to sleep it off, and, and woke up on Christmas Eve, and I went to go shopping for the children, and uh, the, the stores were already closed, and uh, that really put me over the edge. I began to use, and I bought a, a massive amount of crack cocaine, and began to use heavily, and at that point, um, I intended on killing myself. That was thoughts and and really my goal. 
So I got in my car and uh, was heading to the coast uh, to a vacation home that my mom and dad owned. And I stopped at a rest area and used the restroom. And uh, when I got back out of the rest area and I got into my car, put the key in the ignition, and I began to crank the car. broke off. It was a big moment in my life that I truly feel that the Lord intervened um, because I was going off to, to end my life. From the beginning of opening the restaurant, one of our regular customers was Perry Noble. And he would come in one or two times a week, and then it became three and four times a week. And each and every time he would come in, he would ask us to come to church. And each time the answer was no, and really my thoughts were I had absolutely no desire to, to go to the church. Um, but he continued and was consistently persistent on, on asking me to go. Right around the time that I was wanting to end my life, um, Perry left some CDs at the restaurant. And I, at the time, I was living at my parents' house, and I uh, was commuting back and forth from Columbia uh, to Anderson. Um, to help the restaurant and see the children. And uh, I decided to pick up one of these CDs, one of the messages, and, and put it in the CD in my car and uh, proceeded to listen to it. And it was a message unlike any message I'd ever heard. It was different. It was about real life, and it was about um, struggles that, that every human being goes through. And it just set off a light bulb on me, and it was something that really intrigued me. So I committed to, to go to to New Spring and Anderson um, College the following Sunday, and, and I did, and one Sunday became two, and two became three, and uh, on my third Sunday, I was there, and uh, Perry gave uh, an invitation to, um, to receive Christ, and when he gave the invitation to stand, it was like this weight pushing me back, and I could just remember just standing up and just pushing the weight away, and just just Jesus taking over and taking control of my life and I just it was a, a moment I'll never forget I remember just going into the parking lot after the service and sitting in my car and weeping and just uh, and, and within the next day a few short days I began to pray for for the Lord to remove the desire to drink and, and use drugs and in a very short period of time uh, those desires went away it was a complete miracle Bill started attending New Spring um, on a regular basis, and um, over a course of weeks, months, I noticed that there was a change in him, that there was a peace about him, and um, eventually there was a trust that I could feel from him, that I knew that he his focus was shifted from drugs and alcohol, and his focus was now shifted more so on his family and his responsibilities as a dad. The Lord gave me the steps that I needed to do to... to begin to earn my wife's uh, respect as well as my children and um, little by little um, day after day we it began to, to become stronger and this was a, a period that that took a, a period of a year at least of me trying to do the right thing stepping up to be a leader of my family and taking responsibility for my actions there was a lot of work on my end that I had to do I had to to be a good listener to her a good listener to my children and uh, continue to go to church and, and do the right thing. I made a New Year's resolution to start attending New Spring. Bill had asked me a couple of times, and I decided that I was going to go and check it out. I mean, what did I have to lose? He obviously was trying to be on the straight and narrow, and I wanted to see what he was experiencing. The focus was not Jesus. It was just to go and to have normalcy in my life and, and to appease Bill because I wanted to keep him on on the solid ground that he had found. But in April 11, 2010, Perry gave an invitation. I was sitting in my seat and I remember my chest pounding and pounding, get up, get up, get up. And I, I don't, I sat there and I, you know, ignored it, tried to ignore it as best you can. And I, I don't know what came over me. I just stood up. I stood up and I totally surrendered my life to Jesus. And I, I let him come into my heart, and I, I opened myself up, and I, 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 he, he took me, and he 
has been carrying me ever since. A few weeks after I had accepted Jesus, I um, found a lump in my right breast. I didn't know what to think. I just, I kind of was a little bit in denial, you know, you just kind of, maybe it's just swollen lift mode. But the more I kind of started thinking about it, I was like, you know, I need to go to the doctor, obviously. So I um, went and had a biopsy. Nurse called us back and immediately she said, "You need to come in, and I, you and your husband need to come in. I'd like to speak with y'all." And when she did say the words "breast cancer," we both just kind of sat there in shock. We just couldn't really even believe it. I remember vividly one of my appointments. I had an MRI to, you know, pinpoint where the tumor was. Um, as I lay in there, I just remember praying that. Jesus, I, I, I need you. I need I need I need you to get me through this. And um, I I vividly I vividly remember him grabbing my hand and saying, "It's going to be okay." And I knew from then on. I knew that there was going to be he was going to be there. He's he's my savior. He's he's my strength. And and there was a peace. I came out of the MRI and I I told Bill about it and. And we just hugged each other, and, and we both knew. We just, you know, we knew we can do anything, because you know what? We have Jesus. I was diagnosed with um, an aggressive form of breast cancer, and the tumor was larger than uh, expected, so I had to have surgery to remove my right breast. That, that morning was difficult for me as they rolled her back. Uh, to have surgery, I, I just I remember being, we both cried and just uh, being scared, just kind of had these flashes of me being a single father and uh, her not coming back to me and, and kind of what I would do and how my life would be with me and three children and running a business and not having the love of my life. And it was something that I really had to struggle and pray through. sleep a lot and Bill would be we're gonna get you what sounds good to you and um, he was so sweet and he would be like my little servant and get me up and make my bed and everything and um, and then it would I'd feel good the next day and then about Sunday or Monday I would have my treatments on Friday and about Sunday or Monday I'd really start feeling bad and he would clear his schedule at the restaurant just to make sure he would be with me and it was like a little mother hen watching over me. It was it was a time for me to be able to serve her in any way that I could, and I just wanted to know, I wanted her to know that I was there for her, that I would just be there and I would just get her whatever she wanted to drink and uh, go get her something to eat, whatever she was in the mood for, and just hold her hand and stroke her head and just let her know that, uh, you know, I loved her dearly and that, you know, I mean. With, with Jesus working in my heart, it was just, it became so natural to me to be able to, to serve her in, in just a, a way that I, she had served me for so many years. And it was a way that enabled me to just to let her know that I was going to be there, that I wasn't going anywhere. And I loved her no matter what, with hair, without hair, uh, with a breast, without a breast. And it was something that, uh, it was just a way that it was, in a weird way, it just drew us so close together as husband and wife. And I, I'm just so grateful that 
the Lord moved in my heart and enabled me to be able to, to do that, to serve in that way. Today I am cancer-free and loving life. I have an awesome husband, three beautiful children, and I have hope. I'm not scared. I know tomorrow if I'm diagnosed with cancer again, I know that through any circumstances that I can get through it because Jesus is in the center of my life. I know that Bill is the man he is today because of Christ, because Jesus took him and accepted him and gave him a second chance. What I've learned through Jesus is I once was a self-centered, coward, selfish human being. And with a relationship with Jesus Christ in my heart, uh, he enabled me to be a loving, compassionate, caring husband that I thought was never possible. Christ was working through Bill to take care of me in my time of need. And it's a, it's a beautiful way Jesus works. I'm very thankful for Bill, and I'm thankful for for Jesus giving us a second chance together because I don't know where I would be without, without Jesus, first of all, but without Bill as well. Probably if we were honest, those of us who are married, we got a lot of work to do. We can hear a song like this and we can clap. Amen, that's great. But when we leave here, there's probably some areas that you really need to shore up in your relationship. Men, there's probably some areas that as husbands, we badly drop the ball. I wonder if your wife, my wife, really believes that you're on her side through the darkness and through the light I suspect that the spirit of God showed you some areas today that you got some work to do you see that lady that you said I do too hopes beyond hope not there and she's all by herself then you would choose her all over again with all of her sin in the relationship that she's walked through with all the baggage that happened between the two of you she wants to believe that if you had it to do all over you would look across the crowd of all the women on the universe Ladies, same is true of us as men. We struggle with insecurity. We mask it with our pride, with our competition. But we want to know too that you'll be at the end waiting for us. So if we just stripped ourselves of all the junk and we looked at each other and said, in sickness and health good times and bad times I'll be there and if we served each other instead of serving ourselves my prayer is this today as we wrap up this service that, that you just don't walk out of here and go through your Sunday afternoon routine evaluate your relationship and you give God permission examine me God and when he examines you choose to change to be more like him I gotta believe if we did that our relationships
pray for couples in this room, even for those that are looking for that mate, and for those that are married. I pray that we would just chase hard after you. We would stop masking our lives, acknowledge our weaknesses, surrender our wills, confess our sin. And I pray that God, that you would raise up battlefield of men who would fight valiantly to hell and back for their lady. I pray in return, God, that you would raise a battlefield of women who would join him in that battle for each other. Do what you're good at, Holy Spirit. Guide, comfort, comfort, 